Israel returns from exile, and everything is awesome. Oh wait, nothing has changed. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. Mm-hmm. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment. Brandon, this is a monumentous day. Monumentous. Wow, we've invented <laughs> new words, momentous and monumental. Uh, man, yeah, it is. This is a big deal. Congrats. <laughs> Congrats on making it to the end of this year. And on to the end of the new t- of the Old Testament. Yep. That's incredible. Yep. Um, this is. I mean, if you can read through the Old Testament, the New Testament is no problem at all. Yep. Right. So hopefully you've been reading through the whole the whole Bible throughout the year. Um, but this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. What what, have, what do you think you have taken away this time reading through the Old Testament? What's going to hit mm. you? <clears throat> um, well, my life first from a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is wrathful, um, mm-hmm. but He is also good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely I've been hit again with God's concern for his own glory, the the plan of God that doesn't fail, mm-hmm. the wrath of God. I mean, yeah, how do you how can you believe in a God who's not wrathful yeah. if you've if you read the Old Testament? Right. Like you can't be reading the Bible and think that God is not does not have wrath against sin. I mean, I can't another thing, I can't I can't get away from how intimately God is is writing history. And if like that's the power, the rise and fall of nations. That's you know in the individual lives of his people, of of you know the the prophets. God is like leading every detail yeah. of history, and that just becomes so prominent when you I think you're carefully reading the Old Testament. Absolutely, absolutely, um, yeah. How yeah, how intimately involved God is with history. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so we are we're just finishing up the last three books of the Old Testament of the Minor Prophets. And so let's jump into Haggai. Let's do it. Haggai. Haggai? Haggai? Yeah. Haggai. Haggai. I just think Haggai sounds Yeah, that's what I say. Good. Haggai. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. No one knows how to pronounce anything. It's just like yeah. you say it a certain way, people think you're smart. That's, yeah. That's the secret. Okay. Just yeah. say it confidently. Yeah, exactly. That's what we say to our scripture readers and Sunday. Yeah. Just yeah. act smart. Yeah. Um, so let's... Let, Haggai, his name is associated with the word for festival. Party. Party, yes. So um, there are religious festivals and all that. So Haggai is involved in bringing back the temple. So mm-hmm. he's a prophet in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah as they're rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the temple. Right. And so it's a pretty short book, but it, it dates, of course, in, in that case, to the return from exile. Mm-hmm. So the historical context is very important, very strong, right? So it's, this is a small remnant has returned to Jerusalem after the decree of Cyrus, right. again, this is a review from a few books back, but they aren't seeing God's blessing mm-hmm. because they haven't yet built God's house. So Haggai's prophecy, Haggai and Zechariah, are going to motivate them to build the house of God, to get to work building God's house. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a very important thing. Now, uh, Longbird, Longman and Dillard in their book note that he's referred to as the prophet, quote-unquote the prophet, in Ezra. And it seems to indicate that he was very well known and influential. Hmm. Like he doesn't need any any introduction. Right. So as as small as the book is, and as overlooked as it is, he he might have been a very influential hmm. um, leader of the community. The book records really just a few months of Haggai's prof- prophetic activity, and after that, it just ends. We hear nothing. Hmm. So um, so anyway, so the, so the book is <clears throat> book is interesting. So let's just get into it. Yeah, chapter one. 
Um, so chapter one gives Haggai's first oracle to the people. Mm-hmm. So in verse one, we see the figures he's going to sort of sort of focus on, and it'll, it'll be uh, even bigger in Zechariah, which are Zerubbabel, who is the it says the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. So Zerubbabel was the uh, he was the uh, heir to the throne, mm-hmm. and he's ruling right Zerubbabel. now. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. And to don't slurp too loud into that mic, man. You're gonna. You gotta, you gotta be careful about that. <laughs> People are gonna be. Well, that's why we have uh, editors, right? <laughs> so it's like Caleb yeah. goes through and edits everything meticulously. Yeah, that's how he likes to spend his time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Joshua the priest is the other character. So these two represent the royalty, the kingly line, and the priesthood, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be very important. So we'll see a lot about them. Now, verse four says. Haggai speaks to the people saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So he's saying there's no temple, mm-hmm. yet you're living in comfort. It kind of reminds me of when David was in his palace and he's saying there's no house for God. So David was righteous, so he was dissatisfied with that. The people don't care. These people don't care, and they're okay with it. So, so Haggai is, is provoking them to say, you need to build a temple. And if not for the right reasons of God should be honored, at least do it for your own interest. Right? <laughs> Verse 5, he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So you're putting money into your pockets and it's falling out. Right. You have nothing. You're unhappy. And it's not complicated why you're not obeying God. Right. So he so he said he goes on to say, verse seven, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold it was came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Right. So God's being very explicit here and saying, I have brought you suffering and lack because you have not cared about my glory in my house. Mm-hmm. So he's he's challenging them and calling them to obey him. Now, often in the prophets, this doesn't work. Right? You should obey God. Okay, great. And I'm not going to obey God. I don't care. But here he gets a response. P- pretty amazing, right? Verse 12. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. And then it goes on in verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit uh, of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. And so he's got, God's spirit is working. He's moving them to obedience, mm-hmm. and they're beginning the work of building God's house. Right. So his, his oracle, his prophecy has an immediate effect, mm-hmm. immediate response because of God's spirit working in the people. So chapter 2 gives the second oracle of Haggai, the second oracle. And so we see this. It's actually directed at Zerubbabel. That's a fun word to say. Yep. Um, so it's directed at him and, and to Joshua. And in verse 3, he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Mm-hmm. How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? So the, remember, we saw this actually with some of the people in the previous books, right? We saw that when they built the temple, they were crying because they were saying, this is not what it used to be, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is a letdown. This is not what we expected. It's not, it's right. not like Solomon's temple. Yep. And, but he says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, 
declares the Lord, Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. For Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So God is still working in their midst. He says, I'm going to empower the work of your hands. And he says, I'm going to shake the, the world again. I'm going to bring judgment. And he says, I will, verse 7, fill this house with glory. And then in verse 9, he says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace. So what they see now is something that's disappointing, underwhelming. And he's saying, I'm going to one day make this house what, it was, what it's supposed to be, what it's made to be. So yes, it's a letdown now, but trust that one day in the latter days, at the end of time, mm-hmm. the temple will be what the temple was always supposed to be. Right. So really powerful thing. And there's two more, two more oracles, but we won't go through them. I just love how it ends here in, in verse 23. This is how he ends the book of Haggai. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So kind of weird ending, but <laughs> signet ring, Remember this. This was the same phrase that was used in Jeconiah's curse, Jehoiachin's curse in Jeremiah. Remember that God had said, Jeconiah, you, Coniah, his three names, very confusing. But I'm going to take you as a signet ring off of my hand and throw you into the fire. Mm-hmm. And he says, write this man down as childless because hmm. no one will, of his will ever sit on the throne. Right. Well, now God's taking a descendant of Jeconiah and saying, or Jehoiachin, and saying, this this man is going to be my signet ring. Hmm. He's going to be my chosen one. I'm going to hold him close, and he's going to be important to me. Right. So this is an important um, sign that God still has a plan for David's line. This hmm. gives hope to that promise, as we saw in Micah as well. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Haggai, Zerubbabel, all the good stuff. That's right. <clears throat> all right, next book, uh, Zechariah. This again, we're counting down. This is three, two, one. Yeah. This is second to the last book of the Old Testament. Wow, Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah. This is a longer one, right? Tom. Yeah, this is the long, probably the longest. I'm trying to think. Oh, I guess Hosea is the longest. Of the minor, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's 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 very close. That's what twelve chapters, fourteen chapters. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so comparable. So Zechariah, the son of Ido, pretty cool name. Found, he's found in, in Ezra and Nehemiah three different times. So he's he's another figure who appears in other books. Okay. And we see this with a lot of the prophets, Jonah. Um, uh, who else do we see it with? Micah, right, mm-hmm. we mentioned. So uh, Zechariah is a priest who returned from the exile. So he's a priest who's also a prophet, and he has a message about the temple as well. So he's focused also on the temple. And Zechariah means God remembers. Hmm. Zahar, that's, that's the verb for remembering. So, so Yahweh remembers. And this book is, I think even just a surface read through this book, you'll be struck by how many things seem to be connected to Jesus. Hmm. And if you really know the New Testament, you'll be like, wow, there's so many things in here that point directly and are quoted directly in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's a heavily influential book, and there's a lot of the Revelation vibe. Right. And a lot of Revelation is kind of springs out of Daniel, Zechariah. Those are sort of the key texts mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. So very interesting, and there's a lot of weird stuff. So we'll, again, we don't have too much time here, but 
let's get into the text. So really, there's eight night visions. Hmm. You're kind of referred to as the night visions of Zechariah. There's a weird, dreams. weird visions or dreams that he has. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's more of more than a dream. Um, and we won't get into all of them, but the first vision is one of horses. This is very Revelation esque, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Revelation before Revelation. It's so the horses are a picture of the nations that are currently at peace, mm-hmm. and so it kind of sets out for Revelation when the nations, you know, there's war. Verse twelve of chapter one, the angel of the Lord said, "O Lord of hosts." How long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which these, against which you have been angry these seventy years? So he sees these horses that are at peace, the nations are at peace, and the question is, when are you going to save your people mm-hmm. and, and make war with these nations? So the angel, verse fourteen, who talked to me said, "Cry out! Thus says the Lord of Hosts: I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster." Mm. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, of the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares Lord of hosts. Hmm. So, and then he, he ends by saying, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Hmm. So he's, he's pointing to the future building of the temple, right? The, the, the choice, the election of Jerusalem. So very interesting um, imagery in this first vision. The second vision kind of evokes imagery from Daniel. With the horns, mm-hmm. so there's there's four horns in this vision, and the four horns represent the four nations that we saw in Daniel. The third vision is in chapter two. It's a man with a a measuring line, mm-hmm. so which again kind of reminds us of Ezekiel a little bit. Yep. And what he what he sees is that the city is surrounded by fire from God, the wall of fire. So he sees a city with no walls. Mm. But God is is surrounding it and protecting it, and God has placed His glory in the city. Hmm. So look at look at verse five of chapter two. He says, "I will be a wall of I will be to her a wall of fire all around," declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So God is going to protect His people, and He's going to be glorified in their midst. So very interesting visions that He's having that are all pointing to different aspects of. God's plan for Israel and for the nations. Vision four is one the one that stands out probably the most to me mm-hmm. until we get to the very end of the book. But in the first half of the book, vision four is really interesting. It's in chapter three, and it's a vision of Joshua, the high priest, and it sort of brings in the king imagery and the priest imagery together. So we see king and priest. So chapter three, this is worth sort of reading reading in more detail. This is, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan accusing or standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I've taken away your iniquity Away, I'm taking it away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So, very interesting. So, what, so what's happening here is there's Joshua the priest. He has filthy garments, and there's a debate between the angel of the Lord and Satan. Now, the angel of the Lord, as we've seen before, is a picture. Is the second person in the Trinity? Mm-hmm. Just to put it very simply, we could go into more detail as to why. But the angel of the Lord speaks for Yahweh, is worshipped as Yahweh, mm-hmm. is synonymous with Yahweh. 
he, he is Yahweh. That's, yeah. that's the idea. So he's represented as a separate person because they are, father and son are separate people. Mm-hmm. So this is Christ before he's incarnated as a human. That's the idea. So he's standing there with Joshua. Now Joshua's name means Yahweh saves, Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Jo- Yahweh saves. It's also the name in the New Testament, Jesus. Right. Right. That's that's the same name. And so you have this this man clothed in filthy garments, and the angel of the Lord is interceding for him and clothing him in pure garments and saying, Your sin is taken away from you. Mm-hmm. Incredible picture of salvation, right? I mean, this very like pretty obvious imagery here. Right. To that's that's pointing us to what Jesus will do. And then it goes into again more explicit detail. He says here, verse 8, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. So that branch, that's Jesus. That's right? that's a, we've seen that before in Isaiah and other places. Behold, on the stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. Hmm. So God's going to bring a day when the branch comes, when the Messiah comes, right. where he will remove the iniquity. So he has this picture of Joshua, the high priest, having his sins removed. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that's going to happen in a single day for all of Israel right. when the Messiah comes. And, and, of course, we know that reality. So a lot of, lot of things going on here. Very interesting um, passage. Well, let's, let's get forward a little bit and go to, um, to chapter 6. So chapter 6, we see... Again, there's other visions here that we could get into, but kind of get in the weeds a little bit. Chapter, chapter 6, verse 11, it says, so we see the, that Joshua again, Joshua the high priest, and it, he's, they're instructed to make a crown for the priest. Now, crowns were for kings, and turbans were for priests, right. as we've seen before. So the priest would not wear a crown. Kings would wear a crown. So... But make make a crown for a priest. Right. So it's just this imagery of uniting kingship and priesthood, which is very interesting. In verse 12 it says, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall branch out from this place and shall build the temple of the Lord. Hmm. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. So, uh, amazing statement. So he's saying there's going to be the branch, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be the king, but also on the same throne there will be a priest. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a pretty big seat. Right. It's a very strange picture, but it's it's pointing to as we as we see in the New Testament, it's pointing to the uniting of kingship and priesthood. Right. In one person is the idea. So. Again, fascinating stuff. Chapter 8, we see a vision of the end. A vision of the end. And um, gosh, there's a lot here too. But So it's a re- restoration of God's people. We see chapter 8, verse 8. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness <clears throat> and in righteousness. So God's going to restore. And, and when this happens, the blessing on Israel will be so extreme. And so clear that verse 23 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, 
saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So God's people will be so clearly blessed, right. people will be taking hold and saying, we need to learn from you. Mm-hmm. We need to receive blessing with you. So in chapter 9, we see it kind of, a, again, goes into more prophecies, more oracles, uh, image of, ju- of judgment, but also some of the most important prophecies of Jesus. Yep. So Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice o- greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So God is is going to send the, the Messiah, and he's going to come in humility and on a donkey. Right. And we've seen that donkey imagery before as well. With this was a, a royal, this was a royal thing, right? In, in peacetime, in war, you'd ride a horse. But uh-huh. if you're at peace, you'd ride, ride a donkey. That was an image of royalty. And so he's going to come into the town yeah, on, a, on a donkey, yeah. receiving praise from the people. And we see even a mention in verse 11 of the blood of my covenant, hmm. which we see when Jesus, again, I'm skipping ahead to Jesus. So, right. But we see that, that phrasing again very prominently in the New Testament as well. There's no way I'm going to be able to touch on every one of these things when we get to the end. Right. But uh, chapter 10, we see we see more important language. It kind of reminds me of Micah mm-hmm. quite a bit. Chapter or chapter 10, verse 2, says, Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. So God cares about the sheep mm-hmm. that he's overseeing. God, so God is the shepherd, and God is frustrated again with the poor shepherding of Israelite leaders. Mm-hmm. And so he's criticizing and, and condemning them. Chapter 11, we see more of that shepherd imagery, and we actually see in verse 7 of chapter 11, I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. Mm. So he's, he's going to be the shepherd, and in fact, he's paid a wage of, so he's paid a wage of 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah is, and verse 13, the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. Throw it to the potter. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Uh, very strange imagery, but again, this is going to come back in a big way mm-hmm. in the New Testament, right? Um, this, this fee that's thrown to the potter. So, um, yeah, so much we could touch on here. Chapter 12, we have to get to, though, in the limited time that we have. Chapter 12, um, speaking of the salvation of God and how it will be accomplished. So chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, speaks of that salvation and that it's going to, it's going to be tied with the house of David. Mm-hmm. Right? David's mentioned three times in that little section. And then he says in verse 10, Pretty amazing prophecy here. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, hmm. they shall mourn for him. So this is incredible as well, because he's saying, okay, there's going to be someone that they've pierced right. who they will mourn over, mm-hmm. but he says that that's going to be me. Yeah. So God is referring to it as himself. They're going to pierce me. Very strange, very strange imagery. Um, so th- this is again pointing to to Christ being pierced. Verse thirteen, verse chapter thirteen, verse one. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So this piercing, this killing of God is tied to the forgiveness mm. and, and the cleansing of the land right. that's, that's been promised. So, and then we see again reference to the shepherd being struck. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's, at times it's God, at times it's a person next to God. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very confusing unless you understand the Trinity. Right. Chapter 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, mm, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So God obviously is going to strike his Messiah, his shepherd, in order to redeem his people. We saw that in, in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with a, a picture of Eden again. This reminds me of the end of Ezekiel, mm-hmm. chapter 14, verse 8. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, right. half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea, so to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean. And um, it shall continue in summer as in winter. So there's going to be prosperity and life flowing out of Jerusalem just like in Eden. And the king, the Lord will be king over all the earth. Mm. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So powerful, powerful imagery. And then we see at the very end here, chapter 14, verse 16, that they will celebrate the Feast of Booths. Mm. <laughs> the Feast of Booths. Feast of Booths was, of course, that festival that commemorates the coming out of Egypt mm-hmm. when they spend time in these tents, in these booths, and they re- remember the time of wandering that God's going to bring them out of exile or out, uh, in the new exodus, right, right. and restore his people and, and give them true freedom. So that's that's sort of the end of the book of, of Zechariah. Again, so much more we can talk about, but incredible. I'm sure you already have, everyone who's listening to this already has at least three or four clear connections to Christ, gospel right. connections that they could draw themselves from right. that. It's very, very clear. Yeah, super vivid. <clears throat> and the last book of the Old Testament. The last Malachi? book. Malachi. Malachi, yeah. Malachi, that's my, that's my um, nerdy... Bible professors would call it like we're gonna we're gonna read Malachi the Italian prophet. It's like they thought that was really funny. I thought it was really funny. Now I'm the nerd <laughs> quoting it. So Malachi Malachi is the last book written in the last book of the Old Testament, and Malachi his name means my messenger, and so we'll see that that phrase at the end of the book of Malachi. Mm-hmm. So so make a note of that in your Bibles. Now Malachi points forward to the coming of Christ and has some famous last words that wrap up the Old Testament. And the big idea here, it's a perfect bridge to the New Testament because it shows the very end, God's people have a temple. They're, they Everything should be good. They're at peace, and yet things aren't good. They're mm-hmm. still as sinful as they've ever been, and it's, it's a lot of disillusionment, right? right? They thought this return from exile would be a time of prosperity, and they have everything they need, and God would fulfill all their dreams, and that, that didn't happen. Right. And the, the reason is because they're still sinful. Their leaders are still sinful. They need grace from God. Mm-hmm. And so um, so it points forward at the very end to John the Baptist, mm-hmm. who is who is that messenger, who who is you know my messenger, like Malachi, right. who bridges the gap between Old and New Testament. Mm-hmm. He's the last of the prophets, right. of the Old Covenant prophets, and, and he's beginning of the New Testament. So. Yeah. Last and greatest. So uh, Walter Kaiser points out five different moral failures okay. that are recorded in here. So we ha- see mixed marriages happening mm-hmm. again. Yep. They're not tithing. They're not keeping the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. There's sinful priests, and there's other just random social problems, right? Oppression of people mm-hmm. and all these things. So those are sort of the five that we see again and again, and we'll go through this very quickly. But Isaiah, or Malachi uh, 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Love that. I have yeah. loved you. 
Right. Israel, I've loved you. Judah, I've loved you. But you say, how have you loved us? Yeah. So Israel's asking, well, God, really, are you showing us love? Yeah, I don't, we don't see it. No. Uh, show us, prove it. And he responds by saying, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Mm-hmm. So the election, the choice of God to love the Jewish people was a reminder to them, should have been a reminder to them, of the fact that God loved them. Yeah, God's electing love, specific love, marriage love, yeah. Yeah, so God has, has chosen some and not others, and yet there's this, this you know, questioning of God. And so he, he begins to point to the unclean offerings that they've made. Mm-hmm. So we see this in chapter 1, verse 7 and, and on, right? But by, the, by offering polluted food upon my altar, um, is, is, you know, he says, sorry, go backing up in verse 6. They say, how have we despised your name? And he says, by offering polluted food on my altar. Mm-hmm. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised, you're offering up terrible animals. Yeah, so the whole idea of, of an offering a sacrifice was that it, it was an actual sacrifice. You right. don't just take like, well, this uh, this animal's about to die anyway. Let's just throw it on the fire, and that counts as a sacrifice to God. Right. You're not sacrificing anything. Right. He's saying take the best, the perfect lambs, and instead you're taking blind and lame and yeah. terrible animals. All the blemish things they're just sacrificing. Yeah. yeah. So right. it's, it's unclean. You don't care about God. God's name has to be great, but they don't care about his name, so they dishonor his temple. Right. This is a serious problem. True worship of God is not happening. Right. Israel's not what they're supposed to be at the very end of the, of the Old Testament. Chapter 2, verse 7, we see that God comes after their corrupt leaders as well. He says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. So he goes on to attack them, to tear them down, right? Mm-hmm. You do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So God's attacking the leaders, saying there's, there's huge problems in here. And then chapter 3, he goes after their tithing. Mm-hmm. He's saying you're not bringing the full amount of the tithe into the temple. Right. The leaders don't care enough to actually bring in the full amount. They're robbing God of what is rightfully his. And then in chapter 4, the very end, we see again... An amazing promise coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And in verse verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, this is familiar language mm-hmm. from a song here. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So God's going to restore, bring healing, bring them back. There still is a hope, even though it doesn't reside in Israel per se, they're still sinful after all this time. God is still saying, I'm going to, I have a plan for final redemption, Mm -hmm. for final salvation. And then he ends by saying, behold, I will, he mentions Moses in chapter, in verse four. I remember the law of my servant Moses. And then in verse five, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Hmm. So that's the final words of the, of the Old Testament, that Elijah is going to come as the messenger of Yahweh, mm-hmm. and he's going, to, he's going to work repentance in God's people. Right. So that's where we end, and, and, we're, and we're just waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, right. all those promises to be fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you get to the end of the Old Testament, and you can't help but be reminded again and again that humans need God, right? Mm-hmm. And in every part of life, whether that's physical, spiritual, salvation, yeah, provision, like humans need God. And every time they go their own way, things go wrong. Yeah, it's pretty pretty basic. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, well, I mean, we can tie it up here with uh, these last couple of books, but how's the gospel scene in light of these, these couple of books? Well, Haggai and Zechariah both focus on the temple, and obviously we've talked a lot about how Christ points, uh, points to, or fulfills the purpose of the temple, I should uh-huh. say, yeah. how the temple points to Christ. And so all the things that they're longing for in the temple are fulfilled in Jesus. Right. Not only that, but he brings together Davidic line and Levitical priesthood, or I yeah, should say priest king stuff. Melchizedek yeah. <laughs> priesthood, right? He goes, he, he brings together the worship of God with the, the ruling in a perfect way. Mm-hmm. And so the priest and king can sit together on the same throne because they are one. Mm-hmm. He is our high priest. He is our Davidic king. Right. So that's that's an amazing thing. We see Zechariah, so many places we could go to, Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus enters on a enters the city of Jerusalem at Passion Week on a, a, a colt, yep. right, on the foal of a donkey. We see we see that amazing prophecy, and Zechariah is quoted mm-hmm. in Matthew 26. There's a lot of Zechariah just in Matthew. Right. Um, Matthew 26, 31, Jesus says, said to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Mm. So he quotes from Zechariah yep. again to, to say he's the shepherd and they're the flock. A, f- a few verses before that, um, Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, mm-hmm. and yep. they then take the, the silver in Matthew 27 and they because it was blood money, and they bought the potter's field. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's there's a tie into the prophecy from Zechariah, right? That uh, and he actually brings up that prophecy uh, in Matthew twenty seven to to point to that to say that this betrayal of the shepherd and it, it's it being cast to the potter, mm-hmm. just like in in Zechariah, is very important as well. Yeah. John nineteen, we see Jesus is pierced in the side, right? And blood and water come out, and it, when that happens, right? John quotes from Zechariah, John nineteen thirty seven. Again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. Mm. So Jesus is the one one that was is pierced. So all of this is clearly fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In fact, I was re- reading Revelation uh, just recently. Right, obviously we're we're going through it. So Revelation chapter one, and I was like, here's another reference to Zechariah, Je- Revelation one seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. Hmm. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Hmm. Even so, amen. So he's the one who has been pierced, which is a clear reference to, well, to Isaiah 53, right. but, but also to Zechariah. Right. And then um, Malachi, um, I mean, again, there's so many from Zechariah that we could point to, so it feels like, you know, kind of selling it short. But Malachi uh, is quoted at the very beginning of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So obviously the coming of John the Baptist, clearly. So he is the Elijah who was to come. Right. And Jesus is clear about this, that he was um, to be received as Elijah, but the people didn't receive him. Mm-hmm. But he fulfills that ministry. Remember, Elijah and Elisha have ministries very similar to John the Baptist and Jesus. Right. Elisha's ministry is greater. Elijah's the one who prepares the way for Elisha. Mm-hmm. He doesn't see the ultimate victory. Um, he's discouraged at the end of his life, just like John the Baptist right. at the end of his life. And so he's preparing for Elisha and trying to bring people to repentance. Mm-hmm. So Elijah's ministry is much more one of repentance. Elisha is one, one of much more of salvation. Mm-hmm. So we saw that before. But here at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, 
Uh, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Hmm. Obviously, the question that we could talk about for a while is, why does he say Isaiah the prophet? Because Isaiah's book was the first book in that collection um, is the the main belief. So he understands who uh, Malachi is, but that's the broader heading. So John the Baptist is the one who comes and prepares the way for Jesus. He's that sign that the messenger has come and that therefore the branch, the king, the priest, all those, the shepherd, right? All those images that we've seen that he is coming and that he will fulfill his mission. Awesome. Very good. Well, Can you imagine just having the Old Testament and not having the New Testament, just ending on that note and being satisfied with that? No, you wouldn't uh, it, it obviously it points in every way to the New Testament. Right. It's yeah. amazing. And it's so sad. Like, I mean, as you guys have gone through this, you can't understand the New Testament and what Jesus is doing in the Gospels without understanding the Old Testament because he, in so many so many parts of the Gospel, Jesus is fulfilling all these prophecies and all these the the promises that God has had for His people in the Old Testament. He's fulfilling it in Himself, and so absolutely, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's uh, you can't you got to have both Testaments. You got to have the whole redemptive story of God. And we yeah. hope you like you've been encouraged by that over this past uh, year. So absolutely, yeah. So I don't know how else we should end, but uh, uh, man. yeah, join us next year. We're going to be going through the New Testament next year, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. we're going to be going through the New Testament. We'll start up again sometime in the new year, and um, we hope you join us. Thanks for joining us for uh, Daily Gospel this season, and we'll see you next one.